and welcome to this episode six of the CMO's Guide to China Marketing. My name's Stephen. I'm Mike. And every month, Mike and I bring you the latest news, views, and insights on all things China marketing, based on our collective decades of in-market experience here. Now, this month or this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. We've had lots of feedback and comments on our recent episodes, which is fantastic. And one of the themes that we've seen coming through is some of our agency friends and partners have got in touch and asking if we will put together a few episodes with more of an agency focus. So that's what we. Thought we'd give it a try this time out.、Um, as ever, though, we're going to start as we do each of episodes of the CMO's Guide to China Marketing with the section we call the China Dumplings, which is our overview of the latest news stories. And this month, we've got two dumplings to bring to you, and a kind of, I guess, they're both recurring themes that we covered in the last episode as well. But、uh, the things have moved on, and things have updated. So let's start off with Mike. Did you see? 18th of April, we had the Shanghai Marathon, and right at the last minute, all of those thousands of runners who were taking part had their Adidas shirts removed from their kit bag. I did. I did see that. So this is, I, I think, for viewers, well, listeners all around the world, there's been quite a lot of politicking recently from quite a few retail brands making statements about where they source their raw materials from, and this is connected to that. Is that a, a fair? I don't want to say anything controversial, but is that a fair summary? Do you think, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. I think.、Um... Uh, a lot of brands got into hot water. Yeah, for some of the statements on their global websites or on their partners' websites about where they source their materials from, and where they don't source their materials from, and for whatever reasons,、mm-hmm. um, you know. I think the point that we sort of mentioned this again is what you say and what you do generally has an impact here in China, and does, does business have a decision to make? I guess right. I think there's also a thing about. Some of the brands think that they have something on their global website in English. It's not going to affect Chinese, or it won't be seen.、Oh, interesting. And it is.、Yeah. If you post things on your Instagram, or on your Twitter feed, or on your website, someone's eventually going to see it. And if it's something that's offensive to Chinese people, they're going to call you out on it. Yeah, and they're very good at collectively protesting against companies and businesses that do that type of thing. Um, we have a H and M not far from our office in downtown Shanghai, and it's been completely dead for the last couple of weeks. I've never seen a H and M store so empty. So these things genuinely have an impact. H and M is probably in the in the deepest、yep. well of hot water, I would say. Okay,、uh, but a lot of other brands got singed as well.、Mm-hmm. So、um, it, it goes back to I think your corporate. What you're trying to say, corporate, and as a global、uh, corporation, and standing up for, let's say, some type of rights and things like that, versus selling millions and millions of goods to Chinese consumers and trying to basically do both those things at the same time. Yeah, sure.、Um, I had a fun Sunday with、uh, some of my alumni from University of Liverpool. They came into our office and we did a little discussion about brand loyalty, and this was one of the topics that you can't get away from, and. One of the points that was brought up was about Nike. Now, maybe was it this time last year? Maybe a little bit before. Nike were making a whole kind of TV ad spot based on Colin Kaepernick, and they were making a conscious decision to sort of separate themselves from one aspect of their target market, old men who buy sneakers once a year, maybe in favour of 
promoting social justice and looking at a more long-term marketing strategy targeting younger people who are having their spending power kind of increasing buyer power over an extended period of time i don't think that's the case here i don't think it's a conscious decision i think it's as you said it's, it's genuinely a mistake that they've made here and for sure there may be other waves that are pushing people in that direction you have to read between the lines on that one a little bit. Um, you know, March 15th is uh, World Consumer Rights Day. I did not know that. I, I'm sure that's on your calendar. <laughs> but I will tell you it's on every single uh, large brand calendar here because it's a day to be feared. Yeah. No one does any events around it. No one does anything. They're all quiet around that day because usually a few major corporations are pulled out of a hat and attacked for treating consumers poorly. Right. Interesting. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that as things unfold and we'll we'll raise it again when it's relevant. Now, a second dumpling we have for this episode, again, is a bit of a continuation and big shout out to techno.com who've been following this story since things have been breaking and a really good source of information on this. We mentioned last time that the Chinese government and regulators are cracking down on various aspects of e-commerce, um, monitoring practice for furnace and, and things like that. And we've seen some of the biggest government agencies who would be covering this area uh, introduced seven new regulations, which was announced last Friday. Um, and will be coming into effect on the 25th of May. Now, these requirements are focusing very much on live streaming and very much on live streaming linked to e-commerce. And amongst the new regulations being brought in, one aspect is live stream platforms are being encouraged, mandated, in fact, to set up a system to internally rank users by metrics such as views and transactions, this is one of those things that I think is in the interest of the brands who are taking part in that sort of e-commerce campaign, if you like. Platforms are also being mandated to establish risk management systems to guard against suspicious traffic, illegal marketing. Um, they have to react accordingly with pop-up warnings, limited traffic or even cutting the feed if that is necessary and then there's, there's other things like that such as uh, platforms must verify a live streamer's identity before every individual live stream no under 16s hosting live stream e-commerce events and, and things like that but those first two i think with those internal rankings and with the risk management systems i think that's quite interesting mike absolutely i Look, live streaming is massive here, yeah. and it's everywhere, of course. Yeah. But, I mean, China's taken off, especially, I would say, the last year during yeah. the pandemic. Well, I read a stat. There was, I think, four – I'll have to double-check it, but I think there was 40 million live streaming e-commerce events in Q1 in 2020. And I've heard from a lot of my friends who are doing the e-commerce live streams that their prices has, have also skyrocketed. So this is a lot of money. Mm. And KOL agencies also uh, funnel a lot of money – through themselves to KOLs. Um, I, I'm for it. I think protecting consumers and protecting the brands who are paying for this yeah. is great because I'm sure there's a lot of fake stuff and cheating as well. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is, a, this is an ever-evolving situation and we'll keep you up to date as things change. Cut, 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 cut. 
Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to do something a little bit different with the format this time, as we're putting more of an agency focus on this episode of the CMO's Guide to China Marketing. And we're mostly going to be speaking here to international agencies who don't currently have an operation in China. Now, you're probably working with clients who operate all over the world, and China would be on the radar, or perhaps they've already got a tiptoe or foothold in here and things aren't quite going as they should. So the seven tips or insights that we're going to offer now is going to really help you prepare them to improve their China marketing strategy. Number one, first and foremost, China should never be an afterthought when it comes to putting together an international marketing strategy. Mike, is that fair to say? Yeah, we see this all the time. Uh-huh. With, you know, we love our agency partners. Yeah. Just going to say that. <laughs> um, but they'll come to us. Here's the finished website. Can you make it Chinese now? Mm. And that's okay. We can do it. But how about instead of that, you know, from the beginning, if it's not an afterthought, but they planned it out, figured out what needs to be changed for China, all those things makes the whole process a lot easier. Yeah. So what, one example is uh, the domain name and the server thing. You know, you have all these little pesky issues that catch up every brand. So when they go to buy the server in China and to make a nice fast website here, and then they've already got their domain name on their GoDaddy or in the West somewhere, uh, public, uh, let's say purchased and owned by the headquarters, but then they've got their local Chinese company purchasing the server, they can't use that domain name. Wow, okay. They have to actually have, they need to own the domain name. Right. So things are strict here. So little things like that, that can cause you months of aggravation, actually. Another one is the website development itself. Yep. Um, You know, having a big YouTube video in the middle and then wondering what they're going to do when that thing doesn't work in China. Yeah, yeah, that's an issue. We see that countless times with people wanting to embed their video content. Can't you just use YouTube? Well, not really if you wanted to work well or and, work at all here. And then can we use Yoku instead, the Chinese version? Like, yeah, but it doesn't work the same unless you want to have advertising on yeah. it. So that's interesting. And there's some kind of like tangible technical advice there. But I think another thing that often strikes me from some of the the conversations that we have with potential agency partners is sometimes maybe they're unrealistic with the timings. And one of the key things that for me that impacts on this is you've got to allow extra time for things like navigating regulations and going through all the admin and the paperwork and the bureaucracy, which is just a matter of fact here. Absolutely. If you want to set up, for example, a verified WeChat account, which is an official account for social media that's uh, owned by the company, it takes a lot of paperwork. Mm-hmm. None of it's complicated. It's it's typical things that are required for this type of thing in yeah. China. Um, if you're setting up a Baidu account, it's the same. Uh, all these social media, to have a verified account, it takes paperwork time. You have to prove that you own the trademark, all these things. Yeah. And it just takes time. So whatever schedule you thought you could just whip it out and jump onto, let's say, Google in the West and just run your credit card and get things going. It doesn't work that way here. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that is also worth bearing in mind is without having a verified account, you can miss out on some of the functionality that comes with using WeChat as part of your marketing strategy as well. So you're missing out on some of the benefits of that. With our agency partners, we, we ask them to set the stage for their clients. 
to warn them in a way that things will change here. You have to be able to adapt. The rules change, and you don't really know them sometimes until you've gone to apply for something. Mm-hmm. So if you talk to a lawyer here, it's the same thing. What's the law? Well, we're going to go ask, and then that'll be the law. Yeah. So a, a classic example is what's happening with Baidu right now. And Baidu is the, the search engine, the, the major search engine here, yeah. the equivalent of Google. So if you're setting up the equivalent of a Google AdWords account, which is like a Baidu AdWords basically, uh, before it would just, just be very similar to Google. And after you're doing all the paperwork, then all your keywords, you click on the keyword and it goes to your landing page yep. on your own website. So that's kind of normal. Yeah. A few weeks ago, Baidu told us that they're not going to do that anymore and that they we have to build the page within Baidu. Okay. So we're not even clicking to go outside of Baidu anymore to our own website. We're going to a Baidu property, which is crazy. So that's like a landing page within Baidu. Correct. Wow. Unless you're a Fortune 500 company. Okay. Or on a list of famous companies, quote unquote, which they have in a database. Interesting. So, you know, no one's going to no one was prepared for that. No. And it's a bit of a shocker for a few of our clients where we've had to go back and and redo a lot of stuff. And there's some cases that were midstream where we're going to have to change tactics now. And this is just one of those things. The rules change, and you have to be very flexible. Yeah, we've we've seen that as well, perhaps in type of content that you can include in your ads, in specifically some sort of industries and things like that, when they want to do some kind of regulation, or if there's a marketing campaign for a specific product that's backfired from one provider of that product quite often the regulations are then going to affect everybody very very quickly so i'm thinking about healthcare for example when we've seen bans on certain types of product being advertising because one company fell foul correct and and all of those things as well if you're especially in a sensitive category like medical devices mm-hmm. you you have to be careful about the claims you make and that they're already approved by the chinese government and then that ad has to be approved so these are some of those things that take time and the regulator may come back and ask for changes. Some may, might not make any sense to you at all, but you have to be prepared for that. Sure. Let's talk about channels for a second. And I think one thing that comes up, um, we feel like it's something that we talk about all the time and we probably do and that's because it's a subject that raises its head a lot when we're talking with clients or potential new clients and our international partners and that is we can't stress this enough channels work very differently here so one example i hear this all the time wechat is just china's equivalent of whatsapp and it just doesn't work like that it's the it's dangerous to, I, it, I think anyway, it's dangerous to have put an equivalent on these things. So it, it, it's wrong to say that, like I said, WeChat is just China's WhatsApp or Weibo is just China's Twitter. You've got to look into more detail. You've got to look beyond that because they all have their own very unique characteristics. They have their own unique position in, if you're looking at it from a marketing point of view, there's a very unique position in the buyer journey that each of these channels kind of operates at. They're very tribal, in fact, in how people use them and what they're using them for. So 
you know, we we could do a whole podcast and and we probably will on each of these channels individually. But the takeaway for me is just be very mindful of this. They're very different to what you see elsewhere in the world. It's true. And one thing that you might want to do is just download it and install it. Yeah. And just try it. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm on conversations sometimes where I'm trying to like explain the rules of American football. <laughs> And they're just listening to me like this makes no sense at all. I think you tried that. We may have any British accents. Correct. <laughs> Let's talk about messaging a little bit then as well, because again, this is something that comes up all the time. Um, I've worked on a campaign naming no names where a very expensive agency based in one of the famous advertising and marketing centers of the world has sent us the messaging house for China and we've rewritten it because it's just not relevant or it's just not right or from time to time it's going to offend Chinese target audiences. So I think, Mike, a word on how you think about messaging here would be really useful. It all goes back to your target audience, what their interests are, what their trigger points are, what their purchase decision-making qualities are, all of those things. So, for example, um, we did Goose Island beer Mm -hmm. a few years ago, and it's kind of a hipster beer from the U.S., from Chicago. Great beer with the IPAs. And the hipster thing wasn't really happening here. Right. So we took it on its head a bit and said, let's make it more about art and music. Yeah. And a bit more upscale, actually, because it's also not the the cheapest beer if compared to, let's say, a Qingdao beer. So we didn't change the brand, but we adjusted the messaging for the Chinese audience. And that's also something that your clients can do closer to the beginning of thinking through China. Yeah. So that it's not an afterthought where we've got all the channels. Now, how do we say it? Yeah. We um, we did an episode maybe two episodes ago when Mike and I spoke about insight research. And again, from an agency point of view, if you can you know, work with your client, work with an in-market partner on an inexpensive, it doesn't have to be a million dollar budget McKinsey report, but some sort of, you know, insight research bespoke to the brand, the industry that you're going to be working on is going to be really valuable for, for just this issue. Okay. Bit of an elephant in the room, this next one. Um, it could be eyebrow raising sometimes when you start to have the conversation about the budget that's been allocated set aside if you like for a china marketing campaign um i've seen large companies with the kind of china market launch strategy with budgets is just to be frank aren't realistic and you know we don't want to sound like the sort of the money grabbing agency or, or anything like that but there is a realistic conversation to be have about budget i think mike yeah I, th- I think at least agency budgets are are typically on par with europe mm-hmm, for sure or above yeah uh, and and also recognizing that shanghai is one of the, one of the most expensive cities in the world right now if not the most expensive yeah. so yeah i think having a, a realistic budget and not think it's going to be the cheap factory place of 30 years ago yeah, for sure. Um, the you know aspects of of China marketing that are so key here. Let's you know just focus on one KOL or influencer marketing. You working with top tier influencers with a global reach of 
a, a top tier YouTuber are going to be commanding a similar sort of fee and you're going to burn for your budget pretty quickly if if that's going to be the focus of your marketing strategy for China here. Just to wrap this up then, and like I said, we've, we've put some real tangible insight here that agency partners can can bring to bear and, and work on with their own clients. But I think it's also worth talking about the evaluation stage of any campaign. And as well, for China, things work a little bit different here. One of the challenges that you're going to have is maybe some websites and that type of media outlet can be less than transparent when it comes to their readership figures or viewing figures. So again, Mike, I'll bring you in on this bit too how you evaluate and measure and demonstrate that return on investment needs to be figured and agreed and realistic as well. Yeah. I, you know, in a way it's better now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that there's less print because yeah. print was always a big question mark. Did they really make that many? Did anyone read it? <laughs> no one really knew. There was no kind of uh, circulation yeah. uh, approval thing. Uh, so with websites, bit better you're not going to get the figures from the website generally yep. or it'll be inflated but at least you can put in some tracking code like a utm or something like that uh so that that helps you track uh how many clicks there were yeah i think as well goes back to the dumpling that we mentioned at the start with the regulations coming into live streams as well it's definitely something that is improving and evolving all the time and it's not like was it was as you mentioned yeah agree we hope you found this slightly different format for the CMO's Guide to China Marketing podcast interesting. Um, we hope we've hit all the feedback that we've received from our agency friends around the world and that some of the takeaways that we've presented to you guys today are going to be useful when you're having conversations with your clients about their China marketing strategy. If we've missed anything, if there's anything you would like to add to, or if you've got any comments whatsoever, we always love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us directly. You can contact us via our website, or you can reach out to us on our social media. We are on Instagram and Facebook at Brandigo underscore global or LinkedIn at Brandigo global. And we always like to hear from you or just leave a comment wherever you see this podcast posted. We always keep an eye on them and we always respond when we can. That's all for now, and we look forward to speaking to you guys again in the next episode of the CMO's Guide to China Marketing. Bye.